Our deep dives around the league continue with the New York Yankees. WFAN's Sweeney Murdy joins us next on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and joining us, we have a special guest from WFAN. He is the Yankees beat reporter for them and does the pre- and post-game shows there. You can follow him on Twitter at YankeesWFAN. Sweeney Murdy, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Doing great. And, uh, you know, before we get into some of the Yankee stuff, just uh, maybe can you tell everyone uh, a little bit about you and, you know, how you got your start in the industry and, you know, how you got to where you are today? Well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm getting pretty old, so this might take a while. Um, I've um, I've been at WFAN since 1993. I started covering the Yankees in 2001 and uh, have been doing that ever since. Uh, I was actually... I started in radio when I was um, in when I was a teenager because I grew up in Middletown, Pennsylvania, and we had a, a working FM radio station in our school district that you could join as early as seventh grade, which I did. When I was in eighth and ninth grade is when I started doing, and, and you know you start. I mean, we played music, we read news, sports, weather, all kinds of things like that, and had a lot of fun doing those kinds of things. When I was in eighth, ninth grade, I started, you know, concentrating more on sports. And we broadcast our school's high school football and basketball games. And uh, I started to to really enjoy that. And it was about that time I just kind of started to focus on this and realizing that, you know, I've listened to baseball games on the radio my whole life uh, to that point and uh, recognized that, you know, that's actually a job. That's that's a career. So uh, I, I grew up, as I said, in Pennsylvania, and I was listening to Phillies games on the radio uh, constantly. And uh, so those guys broadcasting those games, Harry Callis, Andy Musser, Chris Wheeler, Richie Ashburn, they were, you know, they were the guys I grew up with and uh, learning and loving baseball and the radio. Um, you know, that was that was when it kind of put into focus for me that that was something I could pursue. And I did. So uh, I ended up, you know, continuing that through high school, went to Penn State. Uh, and majored in communications. And my junior year, after my junior year, I got an internship at WFAN. I was 30 years ago this summer, and it changed my life completely. It uh, introduced me to New York and to FAN and the people there. And um, it gave me just a, a, a confidence that I could work in that environment. You know, I come from a small town. It's, it's the, you know, it can be a little intimidating in New York City sometimes. So I... Uh, I got here. I enjoyed it here. I made it back after a short while after graduation, after working in a few different places, and uh, and then uh, I've been here ever since. So season number twenty-one covering the Yankees, and uh, a lot has gone on. Lots changed, but uh, thankfully I'm still able to do this, and people enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, certainly uh, myself and uh, Ruven growing up in New York and still living in New York. Uh, we've certainly heard you uh, over the years and just a pleasure to listen to and uh, so glad to have you on the show here. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Um, let's do a little Yankees here, and uh, we're doing a bunch of deep dives into teams, and uh, thought thought that no better person to uh, have on to uh, cover them than you. Uh, let's just start with generally, uh, who do you think the Yankees MVP has been to date? Uh, according to Fangraphs War, the current leaders are Garrett Cole with a three war already, two thirds wow. of the season, pretty good. Uh, Judge at two, Gleyber Torres one point four, Jordan Montgomery one point two. Uh, in in your mind, who has been the MVP for the team? Well, I go I go three ways at this point, uh, and I don't mean that as a cop out. I just mean simply there are three players who stand out for what they're doing, and one is Garrett Cole, one is Aaron Judge, and the other you didn't mention is a role as Chapman. Uh, and I understand you know why he doesn't uh, you know uh, rate as highly in the uh, in WAR, but if you look at those three players, they're having outstanding years with a team that doesn't have a lot of outstanding years. I was actually surprised by Gleyber Torres. Um, it's, um, yeah, you know, I would guess that's kind of relative to the shortstop position. So maybe that says a lot about where, where that falls. But um, I feel like, you know, listen, Cole and Judge are, are pretty much self-explanatory here for what they're, you know, they're having award caliber seasons. Um, if you stack this up with Cy Young and MVP, those two guys are right there. Um, as far as Chapman, you know, there's, you know, the bullpen is a strength and the Yankees have had a couple of blips lately with some of their setup guys, um, which is to be expected in the course of a long season. Chapman has just been outstanding. And it's part of the reason that I look at who the Yankees are and the idea of what they kind of need to do to, to kind of go for it here. You can't be wasting seasons that you're getting from guys like Cole and Judge and Chapman, uh, especially when you consider where you are, you know, in their lifespans and their contracts, you have to give every opportunity to win when you have those guys performing at the level that they're performing. And speaking of Garrett Cole, um, we mentioned his war is 3.0. Right now there are only two Player, two pitchers who have a higher war. That's Jacob DeGrom with a 3.2, and Corbin Burns actually has a 3.1 war. So Cole is one of the best pitchers, if not top five best pitchers in all of baseball. His ERA is 2.26. He's got a FIP of 1.9. His K per nine is 12.3, and his home run to fly ball rate, which has improved, is 9.4 compared to last year, which is one of his more career. He had a, almost a career high in that. How do you think he's going to go forward the rest of the season? Do you think this is going to continue? Do you think uh, the other teams are going to catch up to him? Do you think the amount of innings he's going to pitch is going to affect him as well? Well, I, I think those are all great questions. He has, um, let's say he's obviously really, really good, right? Um, I think the fly ball part is interesting because that's affecting the Yankees too. Um, and, you know, the ball has something to do with that from what, you know, just the anecdotal evidence people are talking about. Um so and and that and that should help him uh, as this goes on. It, how how strong he stays throughout the year, I think, is going to be uh, something fascinating to watch. Uh, he certainly will go through a period, I think, where um, he'll have to manage that a little bit and kind of figure out how to get through that. But he's at a really good part of his career where. I, I don't think last year probably affected him the same way it would have others because of what he had built up to leading up to last year and some of the work he put in, you know, throwing in, in between. It's not the same as getting starts and, and getting innings and real competition, but I think if you just, you know, 
know a little bit about what you've seen from Garrett Cole the last two years and how he goes about things, I, th- I think he didn't lose as much last year as maybe others did. Uh, and as long as he's physically strong, you know, he might, you know, you might worry if you start getting up close to that 200 inning mark, but until you're, until you're, you know, kind of bumping up against that, I don't think that there's a real concern yet. Uh, I think you're just looking at a guy who is you know, like the guys you mentioned, especially DeGrom, because he has a little bit more of a history doing it than, than Burns. Uh, you're talking about two guys who are just elite right now and are just continuing to be that. And following up with that, if Cole would be the MVP for the Yankees this year, I think DJ LeMahieu was arguably the MVP last year. What's going on this year? I know his BABIP is 40 points below his career, so he is a little bit unlucky, but his hard hit rate is down, his home run to fly ball rate is the lowest since 2017, and his K rate is up, which is not like him. What's going on with LeMahieu this year? Yeah, his ground balls as well, um, and that's you know that was part of a lot of the double plays early with him. Um, don't know. You know, it's... Um, and like over the weekend, there were again a couple of uh, a couple of balls that were hit that you know kind of died in the outfield. And I spoke to somebody on my way into the ballpark on Sunday, and uh, we were talking about Lemayhu and some of those balls that, that were hit. And they said, "Yeah, you know, two years ago, those are out, those are home runs. Uh, it's definitely the ball is what was." relayed to me so i've kind of been focusing on that a little bit just kind of kind of paying attention a little bit the last few days of i'm just trying to think about that as a factor um but beyond that you know you're right the hard hit percentage uh, his his exit below is down uh although you know if and that's you know that's what we can see measured if you're just watching with your eyes you still see a lot of hard hit balls that that find fielder's gloves and he's just not uh as you said he's he's running into some bad luck on that as well but this is to me this isn't all about the home runs and the same with glaber you know with those two guys specifically if you see their their i mean their slugging is down tremendously and to me that's you know that's got to be doubles too not just home runs I mean, you're talking about balls into the gap that are going to help score runs um that's what both of these guys are missing right now. And it's, you know, it is, uh, DJ LeMay, he was on the last homestand, which was, you know, very important homestand, four against Tampa Bay, three against Boston. He went five for 30, all five hits were singles. Um, this is, this is just troublesome because you, what you saw the last few years and, you know, he's, I think it's funny if you put together, the Yankees have played 60 games, right? If you put together last year's 60 game season with this year's 60 game season, LeMahieu's actually had a pretty good year combined, but, you know, it's a pretty steep drop-off. So, you know, I, I guess that's kind of me saying that if you had put these to, if he had been able to play four straight months and you're looking up at the end of August and he's hitting, you know, low 300s with a good on base and decent slugging, you say, oh, he's having a pretty good year. But we've seen two separate years from him with 2020 and 2021, and there's a stark contrast, a big difference. and um, I don't know what the answer is, and a lot of other people who I've spoken to don't either, but this is a major, major factor in the Yankees' offensive roles is the, guys hitting, is the guy hitting at the top of the order is not, is not producing nearly to the level that he was the last two years.
Yeah, and certainly his Babbitt being 40 points below means he's been a little bit unlucky with the singles. Um, but the two things I see, one one is what you mentioned with the ball. And we talk a lot in the show because we, we do primarily fantasy baseball a lot here on the show. Um, but th- the ball affects the just enough homer guys more. DJ LeMay, who is not a Giancarlo Stanton, who's, if he gets a homer, he's knocking it way out of the park. Uh, the ball having an effect doesn't do much to Stanton. It does a little bit to LeMay, who, but what I see is uh, actually contact issues. If you look at his O contact, which means what percentage of the time he's making contact out of the zone, and his Z contact, what percentage of the time he's making contact in the zone, those numbers are down, especially outside the zone. His O contact last year was 82%. This year, it's only 67 So the number of times he's swinging to the times he's getting the ball, the bat on the ball outside the zone, he's not doing it this year. He's just not making proper contact out the zone. He probably needs a change in his eye in order to get corrected so that uh, he's focusing more on the swings in the zone, which he's handling almost as good as he did before. Yeah, it's basically just chasing pitches out of the zone, and, and uh, you know, so, sometimes when you if you have a high contact outside of the zone, I mean, that's not necessarily a good thing either. It makes you it makes you kind of chase those more, and maybe that's part of what's happening here too. Um, either way, you know, he's he's not driving the ball the same way he was the last couple of years, and it's just simply, you know, he's not under the same scrutiny as some of the other guys in the lineup. But the Yankees brought him back. Long-term deal, big deal, very important player. He has. I, I I've mentioned this on the shows a few times. You know, when you know, 15 years ago, when the Yankees were going through troubles, where they would have um, slumps offensively as a team, Derek Jeter would always stand up and say, "Listen, I'm not doing my job getting on base enough for these guys behind me." Um, and that's basically what Lemayhew is. Now he's a different kind of hitter, but he's it, it's basically having the same effect. When LeMahieu was doing what he was doing at the top of the order, especially you know, you, you look at how much trouble the Yankees are having in the first inning, right? Well, duh, that's that's DJ LeMahieu getting on base in the first inning. That's um, that's a big part of what's happening right now. Yeah, no, no doubt that he is really the key component, and uh, uh, it is uh, disappointing. Um, let's talk about trades. The Yankees, I'm assuming, and maybe you can correct me otherwise, that they would be buyers, not sellers. Uh, we do see a little bit of an issue money-wise. They are uh, almost uh, not even $2 million away from the luxury tax threshold, according to SpotTrack. Um, is a is that a problem? The the money issue with the threshold, and b um, if you are the Yankees, what are your needs and who you're trying to acquire on a deadline trade? Well, need number one is center field. Um, they played Aaron Judge there twice last week, and as I've said a few times, it's you know this is a guy that every once in a while you see him them put him in bubble wrap and say, okay, we need to take care of you, um, and to have him play center field as he's the number two center fielder in the depth chart, and Tyler Wade is the number three center fielder in the depth chart, all behind 37-year-old Brett Gardner, that's the number one need for me. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate Aaron Hicks suffered the season-ending injury as opposed to, you know, the other injuries that you were saying, okay, maybe you can get him back from. That's need number one. Um, and, and startlingly, starting pitching is not as high a need right now, although I can see – you know, trying to fortify that depending on what's available. Um, but the idea that Severino is coming back and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going – I need to wait more time to see what Corey Kluber 
is and how he bounces back from this because it's a it seemed pretty significant at the time. Um, but starting pitching is kind of down the uh, down the list of priorities for me right now. Um, outfielder who provides some offense and you know frankly the guys in the lineup right now need need to provide the offense too as we just uh, outlined. The luxury tax threshold is well you know is it an issue? It depends on who you're talking to as far as you know is it a problem? The Yankees have have been pretty steadfast in holding to this in the years where they have wanted to. You've seen other years where they've blown past it. Um but in the years where they recently where they've been committed to staying under, they have made every move with the idea that they are staying under. And that's what's going to be really tricky here because you know as as we outlined earlier, they have some really good players having phenomenal years that you probably can't afford to waste uh, without trying to, you know, win a championship with these kinds of seasons. So um, they run into some problems just like every other team has. And you have to think about the ability to go outside the organization, and that's going to mean adding payroll. Um, although, you know, if you look at it from the Yankees' standpoint, they've already obviously spent a lot of money on a lot of players. And uh, as I said, they've, they've kind of had this ideal – when they set their mind to sticking under the tax threshold, that generally seems to run their pl- run their plan. I, I don't remember actually mid-season when they have been okay with going over that in a year where they're committed to staying under. You know, usually they set that number at the beginning of the year, and and it doesn't really move very much from that. So that's going to be that's going to be a big determining factor in what they can do here and how you know how aggressive they can they can be for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Gliber Torres. Um, you know, he has nine errors at shortstop uh, this year in 50 games. Last year, he had nine errors in just 40 games started. Um, I kind of see him as a second baseman. Um, the question is long term, especially with the free agency market this year. You got Carlos Correa, Javier Baez about to hit. Do you see him as the shortstop of the future for the Yankees? Or do you think that the Yankees go and get a big name shortstop in the offseason and move him over to second? I think that that's the that was a, a a hot topic for me early in the season when Torres was still he had committed errors in spring training and got out of the gate very slow, um, and you know really in the off season because last year it was a problem too, and if you were looking at how to improve some of the balance on this team, make yourself more athletic, you could have seen the idea of trading Luke Voigt. Uh, moving DJ LeMahieu to first, Torres the second, and you know, and you know, I'll slide in one of the shortstops. Um, it's definitely a possibility, um, and I think there was, I think it was a more important question, like in season early, uh, a question earlier in the year. Now that the Yankees have had these other issues that we're talking about, I think trying to figure out uh, that for the 2021 season slides down the list of priorities. He's no longer my biggest concern for this season, although I am still concerned about his defense and um, whether or not that's how my team looks best. Um, So I don't think it's an in-season deal anymore. I I thought at the beginning of the year, I thought that was a possibility, but you know, to me, center field trumps that right now. Um, the first base injury of Voigt was a problem, and we'll see what happens there. So that's that's a bit of a concern for me too. So 
I, I would slide that down my list of priorities for in-season. Off-season, it is definitely something to consider, but now I need to keep a close eye on how Oswald Peraza moves through the Yankees minor league system and what his potential is here to be at the big league level sooner rather than later. Um, I believe he's moving up to double A and he had an outstanding month of May at high a Hudson Valley. The people I've talked to who watch this guy just rave about him and how special he is, how quickly he can move through the system and just drawing comparisons to, you know, he's 20 years old, drawing comparisons to 20 year old Derek Jeter. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, he's, going to get 3,400 hits and walk into the Hall of Fame, uh, it just, you know, it, it just describes to you what you're seeing at a particular stage of a person's career. So I'm interested now, if the Yankees have other priorities in season, then it buys Glaber time at shortstop now, and it gives you time to see what Peraza does the rest of this minor league season, how quickly he moves up, and what, you know, what you project for him, how quickly you think he could impact at the big league level, because then it becomes, okay, can Oswald Peraza be the starting shortstop for the Yankees sometime in 2022 or 23, or do you need to sign one of these great shortstops to a 10-year, $300-plus million deal? And obviously, you know, that's, you know, that's a major consideration there when you're talking about the the you know the big difference in cost for cost analysis for those two types of players. So uh, I I don't think you're there at an answer yet, but uh, I think a lot of it is because you have other problems, and you can you can now uh, buy yourself a little bit of time to deal with shortstop. Now switching gears just a little bit, I am an orthopedist, so I want to talk about a couple of injuries on, Ooh, on okay. the Yankees. Um, Luis Severino, he had his first rehab outing in Tampa. He hit 98 on the on the radar gun. He threw 34 pitches. He looked pretty good through 11 sliders. And I have a little, also a question about Giancarlo Stanton. He sat one game over the over the weekend. He did pinch hit, but the Yankees have two games off this weekend. They're going to an NL team. They're going to the Phillies over this coming weekend. Is there anything wrong with him? Um, I, I don't think they'd use him if there's anything wrong with him. Uh, I think they would, you know, take the opportunity. Well, I put it this way. I, I don't know if there's anything wrong with him, but clearly he's not the same hitter since coming off the injured list. And maybe that, maybe he needed more at bats. You know, he was really hot. He wasn't going to stay that hot. But I think as we've seen, the problem with Giancarlo Stanton is he's either really hot or really cold. And there's rarely something in between. So um, I guess it's easy to wonder if there's something wrong with him. But then you look at what you see with him and say, okay, you know, this is, this is kind of what you're seeing. Um, and you're right. They played two games next week in National League Park. Good thing for them. It's not an extended. You know, I remember in 2009, the Yankees played nine straight National League road games. And Hideki Matsui was nothing more than a pinch hitter. Very important piece. Uh, of, and he actually had a good. It actually worked out well for them. Um, that was at a point in time when they could actually give him a break. And he had trouble with his knees. 
uh, it was nine days in a row where he, you know, he didn't have to worry about playing every day and you know, just get ready for some pinch hit at bats. And uh, it was actually a good in-season break and it worked out managing that player at that time. Um, this is mentioned as a player who's already had some time off and some other days built into this. So uh, we'll see how that handle, how he handles that. Uh, Severino, um, I'm interested to see, let's see, if he goes 50 pitches next time, 65 after that, is that going to be enough for the Yankees to, to bring him up depending on how he looks? They've already kind of hinted at the fact that he doesn't need the full buildup. He doesn't need to be built up to 90, 100 pitches and then, you know, come up and do that. They could use him for shorter stints in the big leagues if he's, you know, if they basically demonstrates that he's healthy and commanding and doing all that. Um, I, I, I need to... I would need to see a couple of more just to see how he reacts and responds and, and what he's feeling. The, it's not always a straight line up when you're coming back from Tommy John surgery. There's, you know, pitchers who, who've gone through it just describe, you know, sometimes they're just bad days. Sometimes they're just bad stretches and you have to kind of deal with that mentally that it's not every step isn't going to be forward. Sometimes you take a couple of steps back and you just kind of deal with that. And hopefully the steps back aren't severe um, you know, you've seen it with Noah Syndergaard with the Mets. So um, you hopefully uh, the next couple outings go well, and you can start to think about penciling him in, and we'll see what uh, – uh, he's on an every six-day schedule now. Um, I don't think that means a six-man rotation, but I do think it gives the Yankees some flexibility in how to use him, if they, especially if they don't want to stretch him out completely before bringing him back. So I see a little bit of a, a, an issue with the Yankees in terms of innings and managing workload. Um, you know, you had the short 60-game season last last year, players coming off of injury for them, and you have guys in the Yankees who have not pitched a lot. You know, Jordan Montgomery, he has 60 innings so far this season, 48 over the last two years combined with Tommy John surgeries and all that. Uh, Tyon, 37 innings over the last two years. He has 53 this season. How much can he go? Domingo Herman, 60 innings so far this year. Didn't pitch at all last year. Debbie Garcia, only 34 innings last year, so on and so forth. And and we know that um, some players on other teams are going to be capped. Um, maybe a, a lot of teams are doing 100 plus whatever the innings they pitched last year. The question to you is, how are the Yankees going to manage these workloads? Um, is there going to be a crunch at the end if if all of these players either can't go the whole time? Does that maybe increase the trade possibility? Does that make Kluber all the more important to come back? Does that make Severino come back? Uh, I guess it's a lot to unpack there, but uh, I am a little bit concerned about the innings towards the end of the season for them. Yeah, and that's why you know if Severino and Kluber both respond well, then that is part of the answer there. Um, and I, I don't think anybody has, you know, knows, uh, really, I, I think you have to take it on an individual basis with these guys. I mean, as we talked about Garrett Cole, we're really not all that worried about Garrett Cole, right? Because of the workloads he had in previous years and, uh, and just kind of where he is in his career. But these other guys are at various different points and, you know, they didn't have the same, you know, they don't have the same, say three year history as, as Cole, and I, I don't think there's a blanket answer for all that. I think you kind of have to watch to see what they're doing. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to see games where a guy comes out after five innings and 82 pitches, and you're going to wonder, could he have gone for, uh, gone further in that game? And if, uh, if the bullpen blows the lead, you're going to ask that question, but this is a long-term kind of plan too, that you kind of have to stick to. So, yeah, I, I think as here's, we're now exactly at the 60 game point. So 
you're now getting into the part you didn't last season. So here's where you kind of start to watch and see how they measure it because you're a third of the way through. You still have two thirds of a season to go and you are, you know, this is where you kind of have to start to figure out as it, it gets hotter out and the guys start to work harder. They're getting to a point where they didn't get last season. Now you're going to start to see how do, how is their stuff? How is their stamina? What does it show you? And this is kind of where you start to figure out how you have to plan for the final third based on what you're seeing in this middle third. So uh, a lot of information to digest over the course of these two months to figure out what you're going to see over the final two months. Now the Yankees are in fourth place in the AL East. They're six and a half, uh, currently six and a half behind the Rays. I have to ask this. Is Aaron Boone on the hot seat? Is Brian Cashman on the hot seat? Because he's the one who put this roster together. Who do you think is more at risk here? I would, I would venture to say that, I don't know your exact ages, but you're either very young or not even born the last time the Yankees fired anybody mid-season. Um, it's been a long time since anybody was fired mid-season with the New York Yankees. Um, you have to go back to, let's say, I guess it would be 1990, uh, the last time a manager was fired mid-season for the Yankees. Was that Stump Merrill? Was that Stump Merrill? No, that was Bucky Dent. Bucky uh, Dent. Stump okay. Merrill took over for, uh, for Bucky. Stump Merrill took over for Bucky Dent in the middle of the 1990 season and managed to the end of the 91 season. Okay. Um, so um, they don't fire pitching coaches mid-season. They don't fire hitting coaches mid-season. Um, it's just not something they do so or have done for a very long time. So, But I would look at Aaron Boone and say, okay, well, this is the last year of his contract. So if you want to call that the hot seat and say, okay, maybe he might not come back if the season doesn't go well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all fair. And I think that's a legitimate question um, based on how this season plays out. But – this season would have to spiral completely out of control. And I know that there are a group of fans who think that that's what's happening right now, but you know, they went 22 and nine, I think over a recent stretch. Um, they're still over 500. There's, you know, this is not spiraling totally out of control yet. So I don't think that's, what's going to happen as far as a mid season thing. Uh, Aaron Boone's contract is up at the end of this season. Brian Cashman has another year on this contract after this. Um, I, I, I think it would take a lot for them to um, get rid of Brian Cashman with a year left on his contract. Uh, it's, it's just simply not the way they've done business for a long time. But if you're telling me, does he, you know, is he in jeopardy of not coming back after that? Same thing with Aaron Boone, I would tell you. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a fair question based on how this is going to play out. You kind of have to get to the end of it to see if it's a if it's going to be a factor. But I will tell you this: there are no outward signs of any discord between Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone. Uh, now it's been easy to say that when they win 100 games before getting knocked out of the playoffs. Um, we'll see how this plays out. But you know, you go back. I it's been you know. I, I looked this up very recently. Very coincidentally, the Yankees in 2009, uh, in their 60th game of the season, were just swept by the Boston Red Sox. Um, and they were sitting a few games better than this, three, three games better than this uh, at this point. 
Joe Girardi was a manager who was who had not won anything yet, had just missed the playoffs the year before, and I guarantee you there were questions about you know his future and was he on the hot seat uh, and could they beat the Red Sox? Could they, you know all, we know how that season ended, so you just gotta let, you gotta let this play out a little bit and see what happens. But clearly, these are all fair questions based on what you're seeing at this moment. Yeah, and certainly uh, that season did work out well for the Yankees. According to fan graphs, the Yankees have a 54% chance for making the playoffs this year, 18% chance for making the division, so they're definitely in the thick of things. They're projected for 88.5 wins. I uh, just want to end on a little bit of a personal note. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, w- who in this industry has been your biggest influence uh, for you so far? Uh, you know, I don't. I can't tell you one in particular, but I will tell you, I told you that I grew up listening to Phillies games uh, and the people who broadcast those games when I was growing up, you know, it was, it was the same four guys year in and year out. I mean, you're, um, it was Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn and Chris Wheeler and Andy Musser. And I got to know and meet all of those guys. It's uh, as a professional later, some better than others. And it was a thrill for me to, uh, to just listen and and grow up understanding that this is these are the guys who I wanted to be um, they so that's probably number one because they're the ones who kind of inspired me to get into this and do this but I've had other names probably less familiar and famous to anybody who's listening um, because they're the ones who directly impacted my you know, my career, uh, I go back to when I was in high school and, and junior high school and high school, and the guy who kind of got me into this and, and kind of molded me at a young age was John Wilsbach, uh, who still runs the radio station at uh, WMSS in Middletown, Pennsylvania, and has been a traffic reporter uh, in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area for you know, 30 years now um, or more. Um, uh, when I got to college, um, I worked at WRSC in State College. The sports director there was Jerry Fisher, who gave me a, uh, uh, you know, uh, gave me a lot of leeway to kind of get on the air, do some things, sometimes make some mistakes, and you know, do whatever you need to do. Uh, and he put a lot of trust in me and let me kind of go along the way. Jerry's father, Fran Fisher, was a longtime play-by-play announcer for Penn State football. Um, then I got my internship at WFAN. Eric Spitz was the executive producer at the time and in charge of hiring interns. Uh, he went on to become assistant program director and program director at WFAN, uh, and now is over at SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Um, I saw him last week. He's still one of my closest friends in the world. Um, those three guys kind of helped move me up and along, uh, as you know, and and. You know, not just personally, uh, not just professionally, but personally, as I as I move through this. And, and Mark Chernoff, who's you know leaving WFAN at the end of this month, is the guy who hired me um, in 1993 when I came back to FAN after my internship. Uh, so, and he's the one who I, I still remember walking into his office on a summer day, uh, kind of like this in 2000 where I laid out a couple of things that I wanted to do. And one of them was, hey, if, I don't know what you're doing with the Yankees beat next year, but I'd be interested. And he said, oh, really? And I saw him scribble it down on his notepad. And that was the beginning of, of you know, getting my name into that mix. And, and here, here I am. So 
Um, the fact that he trusted me with that and has let me keep doing this all these years uh, under his watch. Um, these are these are guys who have shaped my life because you know everything I have going in my life wouldn't have been possible without all these other steps along the way. So those are that is um, that is a short list of people who I've who who I will say really have helped bring me where I am today. That's a great story, and uh, you know it always takes a little bit of luck and a little bit of skill to to get you to uh, where everybody is in life. And uh, I mean, you mentioned the, some of the luck there, but you certainly have skill. And really want to thank you so much for providing your insights on the Yankees and uh, helping our listeners uh, go a little bit deeper on the team. And uh, thank you so much for coming, Sweeney. Thanks for your kindness. Thanks for uh, all the kind words, and um, I um, I appreciate having you on. All right. Uh, Well, we'll be back here later this week with another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. From all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.